Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Judges, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, here's a line that's from a part of a song that you may or may not know, may or may not be super famous to you, though it is an interesting line. So just listen to it, see if you can recognize it. I would heal what's broken, show this family something new, who I am inside, so what can I do? I am ready, come on, I'm ready. I've been patient and steadfast and steady. Bless me now as you blessed us all those years ago when you gave us a miracle. Am I too late for a miracle? All right. Does anyone know what this is from? If you do, raise your hand. I want to see, see a hand. Anybody? Anybody? Not a single one of you? I feel like somebody knows that answer. I just don't want to say it. Okay, say it, say it out loud for me if you know what it is. It's from Encanto, right. The song is from Waiting on a Miracle from Disney's movie Encanto. Any, how many of you have actually seen that movie? All right, so after you leave church today, go ahead and watch it. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, check it out. All right, we're going to reference it a little bit today. This is from the main character in the story. Her name is Maribel who is the only one in her family that did not receive a magical gift. And so now she sings about waiting on a miracle. Okay, I'll give you another one. Maybe it's going to be a little bit easier for the rest of you. I feel like maybe more than one person will know the answer. All right, listen to this. Finally at last, from that speck on that clover, their voices were heard. They rang out clear and clean, and the elephant smiled. Do you see what I mean? They've proved they are persons no matter how small, and their whole world was saved by the smallest of all. All right, so where is this from? Oh, wait, wait show, show of hands, how many of you know this? All right, there's more than one. All right, okay. All right, who knows it? Tell me what it is. It is from, yes, you guys are right. It is from Dr. Seuss's Horton Hears a Who. All right, so you have these two different stories, right? Two different movies. But what you see in connection as we read through the book of Judges is unlikely events happening with unlikely people. And that is someone, something, needs to be saved. And sometimes it comes from those that we would least expect, those who seemingly don't have any special gifts. Last week, you heard about the story of Jephthah, a child who was born outside of marriage, a child born of a prostitute, an outcast, a nothing special, a nobody. 
Yet it is he who God rose up as a judge and saved, delivered the people. Now, as we know, not all stories have happy endings, and Jephthah's certainly was not. But that is the story of the people of Israel. There were not always happy endings for the people, and that is just part of the history of Israel. And for Israel at this time, in the time of the judges, they get into these cycles. And the cycle goes like this. First, their sin. Right? The people fall into their sinful, evil ways. They start worshiping false idols. They fall into all kinds of disobedience. They stray from the Lord. Then, there's judgment. Israel finds themselves overpowered by their enemies. They're at the mercy of their conquerors because they strayed from the Lord. Then there is repentance. When Israel finally cries out to the Lord to save them, they're sorry for their evil ways. They want to change. The final stage is deliverance. This is when God sends someone to save them, to free them, to deliver them. And you would imagine that most of the time, these judges would have some kind of special gift, right? I mean, if you think about the most famous judge that there is, who jumps to your mind? I want to ask somebody over here. Who jumps to your mind as like the famous judge of all in the book of Judges? Oh, you don't know. All right. Somebody tell me who you, who you think is like the famous judge of all in the book of Judges. Samson. Samson. Do you see why I asked you now? Oh, yeah, got it. That's Delilah over there, by the way. <laughs> Samson, right? He is big. He's strong. He has that long flowing hair like I once had back in the day. I mean, if there was a judge that you would expect to dominate, it's going to be Samson. Today, however, we see some unlikely heroes. The people of Israel were saved, delivered. Maybe not from the smallest of all, but surely from those who we might not expect. Today we have Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah as our judges of Israel. Now, let's first take a look at Ehud. Now, Israel had been evil and found themselves subject to Eglon, the king of Moab. They're under his rule for 18 years. It's 18 years before they finally cry out to God. And so God sends them a deliverer, Ehud. Now, what's so special about Ehud? Well, nothing really, except we read this. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Okay, so what is significant about that? Well, how many left-handed people are there here today? Here in our midst. 
two. Okay? That is not very many. All right? Growing up, maybe raising your kids, how many of you learned that it was more proper to be right-handed? Any of you? Okay, there's a few hands there. All right. I mean, lefties are not in the majority, as you just saw. So you could say that they're not the norm. They're not normal. And sometimes, maybe they used to even be scolded for using their left hand. Eh? Ever? Scolded? For, yeah, all right. Yeah, the, the lefty was scolded for using his left hand. All right. But, I mean, when you think about the world, the world isn't necessarily set up for left-handed people. I mean, have any of you ever tried to use a can opener with your left hand? It's a little tricky, right? It's, not, it's on the wrong side, right? Or how about writing with a pencil, right? By, by the end of your first sentence, right, your, your hand is covered in lead or graphite. That is if you are writing from left to right. How about finding a desk that came with a table to write on, right, that accommodated you? Table's usually here, because that's where you write, not over here. It's not always so easily being a lefty sometimes. However, Ehud uses this for his advantage. He was left-handed, and so he would reach over to his right side to pull out his dagger, which would have been on his right thigh. Now, in that day, almost everyone was right-handed, kind of like you guys in this room. And they would have been searched. You know, they would have been patted down. They would have checked the left leg to see if the person coming was carrying a weapon. The king's guards searched Ehud on the wrong side. Now, we do know that he was at least somewhat important because he was delivering the tribute to the king, which is like the annual payment given to the king, kind of like taxes which is how he gets his private time with King Eglon. He obviously was not a king himself, but he was somebody who could be trusted. Now, this is probably one of my favorite stories of all time, just because of how graphic it is, which you heard read. So Ehud gets the king alone, and he says, I have a message from God for you. And then he reaches with his left hand, takes the sword from his right thigh, and thrusts it into his belly, and the fat closes up over the blade. And then Ehud escapes. And as he escapes, he locks the door, and the guards think the king is just going to the bathroom until they wait an embarrassingly long time to check on him. After Ehud gets out, he goes, he sounds the trumpets, and then he says to the people of Israel, Follow me. The Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And then they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong able-bodied men, and not a man escaped. Ehud stepped up to the plate as Israel's deliverer, a man who creatively and courageously used what God had given him, his left-handedness, to lead and to inspire others to rise up. 
He led the charge, and Israel conquered 10,000 Moabites while giving God the credit for the victory. After him, that's Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. So next comes Shamgar, and what do we know about him? Not much. We get one sentence here. Shamgar is only mentioned twice in the Bible. The other one line is in Deborah's song in chapter 5, which you heard. So is he. Who is he? Shamgar, the son of Anath. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means he probably wasn't an Israelite because his name is not Hebrew in origin. So he's not a part of the chosen people. He was nobody. Somebody who didn't have any special gifts that we know about. Anything that he was blessed with. He likely wasn't political, wasn't related to the king, didn't have any military experience. Maybe he was just a farmer. After all, the one thing we know that he had was an ox goad. And what exactly is an ox goad? Anyone know? Who knows what an ox goad is? Nobody? Oh, you guys don't use ox goads in your everyday life? <laughs> no? All right, what's an ox goad? Yeah, it's, it, an ox goat is something that you goat an ox with. Come on, do you guys know that? <laughs> okay, so this is what it is. It's a, we'll say, 8 to 10 foot long wooden stick with a sharp chisel-like pointer blade on the end of it, which is normally used to prod or goad the oxen as you drive them from place to place. With this, the farmer can hurry up his slow-moving animals. It could also be used to clean the plow blade. It was an instrument that was used in agriculture, not fighting against seasoned warriors, though obviously it can be used for that. So in Shamgar's hands, the ox goad became a lethal weapon. He was able to make a difference with a simple tool. In the story of him, we don't even get that Israel sinned that they were conquered, that they cried out to God for deliverance. So we fill in the blanks, right? Maybe things were so bad that they had to look outside of their own people for somebody to come and save them, somebody who was not one of the chosen people, someone who was not special, but somebody who stepped up to the challenge. He could bring the people back. He could deliver them. He could save them, and he did it without making any excuses. You don't hear him say, well, Lord, you know, the last time I checked, ox goads aren't the, like, number one weapon of mass destruction. Right? He didn't say, Lord, the Philistines, you know, they have very sharp swords, and I just have this pointy stick, and plus, I'm only one person, God. Do you really expect me to take out everyone? I mean, let's be reasonable. I'm not qualified. I'm not equipped. War isn't won by just one person. He's not waiting for a miracle. So thanks be to God that Shamgar didn't have the spiritual gift of disqualifying himself for the Lord's service. And here's the great part. Shamgar won the fight. 
So go ahead and count them. They're still laying there, right? 20, 60, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 Philistines. Now maybe, maybe, we don't know, this isn't 600 Philistines all at once. Maybe this is over his lifetime. Regardless, Shamgar won deliverance for the people of Israel. Not only was he blessed, but he became a blessing to others. He delivered the people by using what God had given him, a simple wooden pole to save the people. Finally, we have Deborah, the woman. Now, we see lots of men save the people, yet here is a woman judge. Here, God raised up a courageous woman to issue his call to a very reluctant commander whose name is Barak. This action was God's response to the cry of the Israelites who had waited 20 years until they cried out to God. So we already had heard 18 years, but how many of you would like to be slaves for 20 years? I mean, I probably would have cried out to God after 20 minutes. God was ready to deliver his people from the painful sufferings of the Canaanite oppressors through Deborah, who had served for years as a prophetess and now a judge for Israel. Her testimony for the Lord and her influence upon the people was so great that she is known as the mother of Israel, which she sings in her song in Judges 5. She, not Barak, received the recognition for the deliverance of Israel. She loved the people despite their sinful, compromising, wayward lifestyle. And she reached out to help the Israelites as though they were her own children, encouraging them to return to the Lord. Deborah, the mother of Israel. Three different judges and all three unusual, unexpected deliverers of Israel. So, what's the point of looking at these three? Well, think about our quote from Horton. And their whole world was saved by the smallest of all. These three were used by God to save Israel from their evil ways, from the oppressors they were facing. And as we'll continue to study this, the cycle continues on and on. And it doesn't just end in the book of Judges. I mean, we can flip through the entire Old Testament and read all kinds of stories of people falling into sin, worshiping false idols, indulging in sexual immorality. And we can also flip through the New Testament and read about all of the sins and problems it causes and read letters to churches about their struggles and their temptations. And we can even put ourselves in these stories because it still applies to us today. So where are you in this story? Where are you in this cycle? Put yourself there. Are you trapped in sin right now? Do you feel like you can't get out? Or maybe you're not really ready to get out. Maybe you kind of like where you're at. Or maybe you keep making excuses as to why you can't get out, why you can't stop sinning. I mean, we're all sinners, and at some point we all fall into temptation. We all sin. 
We all have sinful desires, sinful lusts. We all do sinful actions. Sometimes we ignore the warning of God and others. We don't listen to their voices, and we just do what we like. Someone once described sin like a baby's diaper. It's warm. It's kind of smelly. But hey, it's mine. Rather than enjoy the crap you're sitting in, maybe you should be crying out to God to get you out of the situation that you're in, to change your diaper. Maybe you need to stop making excuses. But maybe you're not at that point yet. Maybe you're still suffering in that judgment stage. You're in that dirty diaper. Maybe you don't like it, but it doesn't smell bad enough for you to want to do something about it. The judgment stage is not the stage you want to be stuck in, though, because it's not going to end well. Because this is the punishment stage. Sin has punishment. It has consequences. And it's not the Israelites that you are where you're going to be conquered by your enemies. Because when you're in this punishment stage, your enemies have already got you. Sin, your sinful nature, the devil, have rule. They have control of your life. And it only leads to one place. And that's death. Physical death, yes, that is an earthly punishment. But also hell. Eternal death is a part of the judgment as well. And this is really where we all are. We're sinners who deserve judgment, punishment, death, hell. In Encanto, they need a miracle because their world is crumbling. And the question is asked by Mirabelle as she sings, am I too late for a miracle? Now, if you know the movie, which obviously not most of you did, it goes on to say in a song called All of You, there's a line that's directed to Mirabelle. And it says, The miracle is not some magic that you've got. The miracle is you. Not some gift, just you. The miracle is you. For her family, she became the miracle. She who had no gift helped save her family. For us, for our family, we need a deliverer. We need a savior. We need a miracle. The good news is, we have one. But it's not us. Because we can't save ourselves. We are not the miracle. Because we're stuck in sin. And their whole world was saved by the smallest of all. That's from Horton. This is from Philippians. Take a listen. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death 
even death on a cross. Jesus Christ became nothing. He humbled himself and became a servant. And he sacrificed his life on the cross to be our deliverer. This was God's plan of salvation, to deliver us from sin, death, and the devil. He loves us despite our sinful, compromising, wayward lifestyle. And like Shamgar, Jesus uses a wooden pole to save the people. Except it's not a pointy stick. It's a cross. Jesus Christ came to be our deliverer so that we would have forgiveness of our sins, so that we would have eternal life, so we wouldn't have to live in poopy diapers forever that we would get a clean, be, be given a clean slate, that we would be made pure and holy by the blood of Christ. He who died on the cross to deliver you. Yet it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in his death. It ends with his resurrection. Christ overcame sin, death, hell, the grave for us giving us the promise that we who believe in him have already been delivered by his death and resurrection. And we who believe have the promise that Christ will come again and take us to be with him forever in heaven, that he will make all things new. And while we're still on this earth, Christ continues to bring deliverance to his people. And salvation is found in the unlikeliest of places. We call them God's means of grace. It starts with the pages of a book. But not just any book. The Bible. The Word of God. Which he has given to us where we hear of the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit creates faith through the hearing of the Word. It happens through the bread and the wine. Because when combined with the word of God, it's bread and it's body. It's wine and it's blood. Christ's body and blood given to us for the forgiveness of our sins, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. And today we saw deliverance in the waters of baptism but not just plain water. Not when it is combined with the word of God, which forgives sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation, gives eternal life, even to the smallest of all. Because every person is worth saving whether they're tiny or tall. And that is why Jesus came, to save and deliver you all. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and mind in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.